before we officially start, I must give a special shout out to the boys over at Recovery. Much like myself and the lads, Chris and Ian are a couple of rugby fanatics like we all are, and they've created various products with recovery in mind based around natural CBD remedies. Head over to their Instagram page or website and use the code FREEBLOKES. That's number three, followed by BLOKES, for 10% off all their natural products and feel the benefit today. Good afternoon, good morning and good evening from wherever you are listening from. My name is Jamie Robinson and welcome to episode 79 of Three Blokes and the Rugby League podcast. J.D. Moss-Goddard joins me this evening on the podcast as we run through a reduced weekend of Rugby League. But there are some definitely big talking points, Jed, want them at. Throughout this podcast, we'll be talking about the NRL. There were four games in the NRL. The Men's Challenge Cup semi-finals, the one Super League game there was this weekend, and most importantly... The Women's Challenge Cup final as well. It's the first time we're going to fully highlight a women's game on the podcast and we're very excited to do so. As you can tell, I haven't mentioned that we're joined by Woody today, Callum Wood. Um, but we're a man down. He's, he's, he's having to do a few bits and bobs out there today and his car's broken down. So, fortunately, he can't join us and he can't even join us via mobile. So, he sends his best wishes. Um, and me and Jed are secretly glad that he's not here to celebrate a Parramatta win as well. So, Jed, welcome to the podcast, mate. It's a two-man booth today. Uh, have you had a good weekend, mate? Have you managed to watch much rugby league? Yeah, I mean, we were spoiled for choice, really, uh, this weekend. Plenty, obviously, still some good content in the, the NRL and uh, plenty of cup content over here. So, as well as uh, basking in that nice sunshine we've had recently, it was nice to watch some good rugby league as well, Jamie. Definitely so, mate. And we'll start off a bit differently this week. Obviously, we usually highlight the NRL and, and the Australian game, but I, I want to talk about the Women's Challenge Cup final, mate. Um, over at Lee St. Chirin's ground, we know it was a triple header with the men's game, but St. Ellen's 36, York City Knights 4, it looks like a bit of a trouncing, mate, but, you know, the St. Ellen's girls worked really hard and York gave them a really good game, but obviously they went down quite early on. Faye Gaskin got that really bad knee injury. I don't know if you've seen the picture, mate, and Jodie Cunningham, a friend of the show, had to fill an ass. but, you know, the likes of Jodie Cunningham... Emily Rudge, um, Amy Ardcastle does, does run the show, mate, and really showed why they're, they're international quality, didn't they? They did, and it's what you expect. I mean, when you think of the women's game, those names that you've just listed off there, they're sort of like the, the spearheads of the women's sport. And I, I think the women's rugby league game in general couldn't ask for, for better uh, people to advertise the game. Um, like you said, it did seem like it could be a little bit one-sided, but... I feel like York give a really good account of themselves and I feel like Saints were always going to be the favourites and expected to, to to win the game and, and they did so. But there were some really nice passages of rugby league, some hard-hitting contacts and and it's exactly what you want to, to showcase the sport. I, I mean, I've seen recently, I don't have the figures to my head, but record numbers of girls are starting to play rugby league and it's excellent for the, for the sport. I think all sports, not just rugby league, need to explore the women's side of it a lot more. Luckily now we're, we're sort of following sort of what the 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 example that football has set, and I'm really proud of the way that the rugby league community has adopted the women's side of it and are pushing it and promoting it every op- opportunity. And so they should, because when you're getting good games like this at the weekend, um, it's only going to get better and and and, and bigger uh, as it goes on as the years progress, mate. Definitely. So and obviously their their kind of normal competition, their Super League is still ongoing as well. St Helens look like the team that are going to. Uh, definitely finish high up the leaderboard. But, you know, York have, have looked promising as well. I know they've signed a few girls over from Cass this year. And especially for me, what I saw, I really liked Peach at Dummy Half. I thought she was really good. She had an eye for a, a good play as well. And, and both, both sets of teams had some really impressive players. Uh, gone are the days where you, you kind of look down on the women's game and, and try and compare it to the men's. It's a totally different atmosphere, totally different game. And 
fair play to him. I really enjoyed watching it and, and I'll definitely be having my eyes wide open come to the World Cup time and hopefully we'll be able to get a few more women on the podcast to promote that as well. Very well done to everybody involved in that. And a quick shout out to Amy Hardcastle once again. She has been on the podcast before, but she goes down to watch her daughter um, every weekend as well. And I, I believe a couple of girls uh, plucked up the courage to have a photo with her on the sidelines as well. So all you need is, is something like that to show how much it means to these young girls and um, it's fair play to them. And legends of, of the sport they will grow up to be and fair play to them in, in every single regard. Going over to the NRL, Jerry Moss got a big scoreline in the in the first of the four games this weekend. St. George Illawarra Dragons 52, Brisbane Broncos 24. Kind of another game in which Brisbane started quite strong, but they capitulated quite quickly, didn't they? I mean, you, that sentence there is the summary of Brisbane's season so far, barring a few games. But yeah, they just start so well. And then they're always the architects of their own downfall, especially in the second half. And if I'm being really honest, they were probably the better side in the first half. Um, but it was it was I mean to say it's all it was all dragons in the second would be an understatement. There were absolutely Broncos in the second half were dom- dominated in every single statistic that you could possibly think of, and, and it all sort of stemmed from that try that Dufty got just as the siren sounded at the half time. If, if anyone's not seen it, um, I thought they were going to line up for, for a two point drop goal, which would have been the more sensible option. But the side, I think Corey Norman put a kick through, and, and we all know how quick Matt Dufty is, and he just got there. I don't know what Jermaine Asako was doing. He should have just kicked it out. There wouldn't have been a drop goal. It'd have been on and then it'd been into the sheds at 18 apiece, but he didn't. He, he, he meandered about it and Dufty got there. And then before you know it, it's 24 18 at half time. And then it's one way traffic from, from, from then on, really. I mean, between the Broncos' third and fourth try, the Dragons posted 38 points. And, and if you're going to be doing anything in the NRL, that is completely unacceptable. And I'm sure Kevin Walters doesn't need telling that. I mean, the game had a total points tally of 76. So it's fair to say that that caution was thrown out the window when it came to defence, which in essence makes this particular game a difficult one to analyse because usually you're looking at sides like how, how they defended, how they they approached the other team's attack. Obviously, they'll have tactics and strategies, but both teams just wanted to attack, attack, attack. And obviously, if you play in that kind of rugby league at that, that speed, there's going to be a lot of points. And it, and it seems that's obviously both the way that these teams uh, started out this game. I mean, what can be said is that the Broncos have a pure inability to maintain any kind of stability within the game, which is a huge hindrance. For the first 20 minutes of the second half, they completed three out of 11, whereas the Dragons completed 11 out of 11. Don't matter who you are, if St. George are completing 11 out of 11 and Melbourne Storm or Penrith are completing three out of 11, I can guarantee you which team's going to be the ascendancy in that game. And it's going to be St. George. Regardless, that's how important it is to complete your sets in this game. I mean, that was the real game breaker. If you're struggling like the Broncos are, then you need to do the basics right. And they fail to do that every single week. You can't allow easy possession and easy ball to slip away like that, especially when you're not performing well. And, and it wasn't as if St. George were doing anything to get the ball back in these areas. It was, it was just lapses in concentration for the Broncos. And I mean, St. George must have been laughing all the way to the score, to the try line sometimes because the Broncos made it so, so easy for him. I mean, last week I said... Bulldogs came with a plan to nullify the Panthers, but had no attacking options. Broncos need to adapt to this approach because they have attacking options. Complete the sets, kick, earn their way into the possession, win the territory battle, and then they've got players that can spark things. If you've got Stags who's due to come out, Jermaine Asako's very dangerous around the line. 
fair enough, the Haas might not be fine, but their outside backs are really, really talented. You've got Xavier Coates, who's playing for Queensland, Herbie Farnworth, who'll be playing for Great Britain. They can make things happen, but they're not earning the right to attack and they're not earning the right to play this way. And if they can't carry on this way this season, it's going to be a really, really long season for them. And they'll be, they'll be putting, if it weren't for the doggies, they'll be pushing wooden spoon again. Matt Dufty was playing like an absolute man possessed, almost like he had a point to prove. I'm sure we've all seen it that the Dragons are not offering him a contract. Wise beyond me. His stock definitely rose after this performance and a petition has actually started amongst the Dragons fans to keep him at the club. He's obviously a fan favourite and you, and you can see why just from this game alone. Seven try involvements. He got five assists and two tries, which is astronomical against any side, as well as two tackle busts, one line break and four line break assists and 132 run metres. His speed, I, I'm guilty probably not last season, but the season before I called him a speed merchant. I didn't think he had anything about him. But he's added a pass to his game now. So he takes on the line with his speed and can hit a really uh, incisive pass. And that's why he got so uh, contributed to so many try assists in this game. It leaves the defence uncertain. They don't know what he's going to do when they back off him and then he punishes at will. I mean, I actually ranked him in my top five last year, Jamie, for my fullbacks when we did the, the positions at the end of the season. I, I, I really rate him. I think he's a good player. And I think he's developing and adapting his game to become even more well-rounded. Why do you think St George don't see a future for him at the club? It, it brings up so many questions, doesn't it, really? Not only is he is he St George's best fullback option, but in, in, on his day, is St George's best player. You know, they've got the likes of Ben Hunt, Corey Norman, who've played Origin, Jack Bird, who's played Origin. But on his day, genuinely, Matt Dufty can turn a game at flick of a you know flick of a coin. For me, just looking at him, you know, you know, maybe he's not the strongest defensively, but he's Cody Ramsey, he's Jack Bird, you know. It, <laughs> Because it looks like if he's going to leave, they're going to transition Cody Ramsey into that role. And when I've seen Cody Ramsey the past couple of weeks filling in at fullback, he's not been all impressive, to be fair. I know I know he's still a young lad and he's got room to move and, and go and stuff. But for me, it, it must be the fact of something going on behind the scenes. It must be that he's, I don't know, he's not a likeable character. He doesn't get along with some of the leaders. He, he rubs the coaches up the wrong way. I genuinely have no idea because his on-field performances do not justify why the Dragons are openly saying they don't want him. I, I genuinely don't know. It it's, it's blows my mind. I agree. I just I don't I don't get it either. Like you said, he's he's a game breaker. And when you said he can turn the game on the flip of a dime, he did that by scoring that try just before half time, and eventually swung the tide into St George's favour. So I, I don't know what they're playing at. Obviously, it's a long season ahead. We, we know how these things can twist and turn. So, it might be a St. George player next year. Who knows? But it's one that we'll definitely be keeping, of course, iron. And I'm sure he'll have many clubs wanting to go for him. Go on, Jamie. You took the words out of my mouth. I'm going to say there'll be about four or five clubs. And you're looking at Brisbane, Canberra, um, Tigers potentially as well. I don't think they will now with Laurie, but there's a, definitely a couple of teams. Bulldogs maybe who can afford him. Anyone will take him. He's definitely not going to come to Super League if, if the money's right in the NRL. No, definitely not, mate. And anyway, on to other players, because there were other players playing this game. Match Lord, match. Matt Lodge continuing his form recently. Once again, seems like a man trying to prove a point for contract extension purposes. 150 run metres, 24 tackles, three offloads and four tackle breaks. Seemed to perform better when he isn't sharing the workload with Payne Ass. I don't know if he takes more of a an ownership on his own game because he's got to. He's one of the biggest new forces in that pack. Not sure if there is any correlation in that. I mean, I might, we might be able to see that as the season progresses. Something that has been noticeable um, in the past few weeks, though, is that he, he does obviously 
try and show up a lot more when Payne Hass isn't there. Herbie Farmer and Tavita Pangai Jr., very impressive too. And, and, and a notice to Tavita Pangai Jr., we know he gives penalties away. But with the recent rules, I don't think he gave a single penalty away uh, in this game, which is impressive, especially with the new lockdown rules and especially for someone like TPG. Uh, we've accused the Dragons of lacking intensity this season, but their form of recent weeks has been really, really good. Mr. Versatile was obviously listening to Jamie last week as he came in field, got more uh, ball and started second row. He was excellent with a try and along with Blocker Laurie and Josh Kerr, all three collectively managed 87 tackles and 380 run metres. And I think between them, they only missed like five tackles. Really, really more uh, dominating performances from the pack, which, which has been needed for St. George uh, for quite a while now. So it's nice to see them stepping up to the mark. Just to throw over to you, we saw, we've seen some some high score lines in recent weeks, Jamie, and this is sort of like the epitome of that. As you said, 78 points, 76 points, whatever it was. Is the defensive side slipping away from the NRL? Yeah, it, it is a big worry, especially you see a lot of big score lines this year. I, I, the most worrying to me is the fact that, you know, they're the putting this fatigue aspect into the game and the defensive side of the clubs aren't getting any benefit to it. The, the, you know, they're getting tired in tackles, so they're occasionally doing high shots and they're just getting simbin, which is making teams fatigued even more. You know, as a coaching staff and as players, you might just think, well, I'll just put, not put as much effort into defence then, which increases the points tally. All right, we'll just focus on attack. If we can outscore our opponents, we're going to win the game. Um, you know, as, as much as fans love a try-fest and a score-fest and, and electric tries, nobody wants to see 50 plus 30 every single game. Um, you know, I, I doubt players are going out there with, with a lack of defence, but you can see the fatigue is too high in general. Um, a positive this week, there didn't seem to be as many sim binnings. I can't remember the top of my head. Obviously, there was only four games, but the penalties uh, are still there, but the, the sim bins aren't there as much, which is um, a bit more of a positive, but I, I still think there's a lot of work to go. Yeah, definitely, mate. And and, it, and it's one of them things that we'll have to keep an eye on as the season progresses. So many questions now with the new rules, um, that, that how it's going to play and how it's going to factor us, and even more so now that Origin is taking place. To wrap up my points on this game, Matt Dufty deserved his five points, 100%. Ben Hunt was very good and, and, and seems to take a lot of ownership in the halves and him and Corey Norman both played well, but Hunt got the four points. Mr. Versatile, Jack Bird with three, Blocker Ori with two and Kurt with one. Over next, I mean, you could say it was the shock of the round. Obviously, Penrith Panthers were out a lot of plays, but you can't take nothing away from your boys, Jamie. They outperformed him in every single aspect, and I'm sure you were a very, very happy man indeed. I was a very happy man. I still am a very happy man. But to be fair, I'm not. I'm not going to shout it from the rooftops. I'm not going to party because I do. I do understand the uh, the situation of it. But it's been a major talking point this weekend on on social media and all around kind of the, the rugby league world. You know, it's, fans have absolutely booted off for the fact that Panthers have lost their winning streak, and it's quite hilarious to be fair in, in some regards. First of all, what what were we, what were the Tigers meant to do? You know, everybody has spoken about this all season, including us on the podcast. You know, you you've asked a couple of times are Penrith likely to lose this year, and most of the time I've said the test will be around Origin period. Um, you know, the, and they're always going to get tested around this Origin period if you have the best players. We were excellent. The Tigers were excellent. And for the first time this year, we looked confident all over the park. Our forwards looked more dominant. We were using the ball more effectively. And quite simply, we outplayed Penrith. Um, you know, with all the chat around the players missing, obviously with State of Origin uh, coming up this Wednesday, they still had Dylan Edwards, Charlie Staines, Stephen Crichton, Paul Momorowski, uh, Matt Burton, James Tishrara, Spencer Linda, Viliami Kikau, top, top players. Top players who've been making their starting 17 all this year. Um 
you know, and that team would still beat most teams as well. Penrith are actually the only side in the NRL currently with zero injuries in their squad. So for me, you know, is it a bit of a talking point if they start getting injuries in their team? You know, are they able to cope? Melbourne, Roosters, Parramatta, these top teams have been having injuries this year, but yet they've still been managing to pick up key wins. You know, and, you know, you might look at this after State of Origin if Cleary picks up a knock, if, you know, Brian Toto picks up a knock, are they, are they going to start slumping a bit? You know, this is their first real test and it's, they've not really come through. Um, we, have, we, we have evidently cut down on offloads in the past recent weeks of the Tigers. We, we're playing a lot more direct and allowing Brooks and the like to control the play a bit more. It suits us a lot more at the minute as well. It looks like we're kind of taking that Todd Pitt and Cowboys approach in terms of focusing on reaching a certain point in the field without forcing our hand too much. And, it's, and it seems to be working. Sometimes, you know, if you're languishing at the bottom of the table, you can be more panicked and you can be wanting to throw the ball about to get it out to Nofaluma or James Roberts. Focus on the basic players. You do the basics right. You earn the right to play better and play more fluid. It's this common phrase in rugby league. You've got to earn the right. And the Tigers and the Cowboys have done it the past couple of weeks. You know, and like our Oval in itself is one of them old school grounds where it seems very narrow. The fans are on top of you. Um, you know, whenever there's a game there, you assume it'll be played in the middle of the park. James Fisraris is just a constant exhilarating prop forward. He's unbelievable. I love watching him play. He's an absolute monster. And even in defeat, to be fair, he was absolutely hammering the statistics. He played 66 minutes with only one period of rest, 154 run metres from 17 runs. Um, he touched the ball 23 times. He, that was the fourth most of the Penrith players behind the six, seven and nine who were obviously most likely to touch the ball the most anyway. So he actually touched the ball more than the fullback, which is a ridiculous stat. And Jed, you know, he's had 17 runs. So he's effectively potentially had 17 play the balls. He had an average play the ball speed of just above three seconds at 3.07 seconds. And that's astronomical. That You know, anything below or just above three seconds is a, it's a ridiculously quick play the ball. Um, in comparison, though, was my man of the match and a total revelation in his move to prop forward, something that I was screaming out for in weeks previous, and that's Alex Twal. He played 76 minutes in one consecutive stint. He got 174 run metres. 75 of them run metres were post-contact, four tackle breaks as well. Um, really, really good. Top player, and we've mentioned it. He'll, he'll be playing World Cup regardless because of his Lebanese uh, background. Fair play to him as well. Uh, and there's just something ticking with us in the house as well. Uh, even since Dewey and Mbaye have switched positions. Now, you know, this does seem like a bit of a masterstroke, but Adam Dewey has had, to come, has had to come into that number six jersey in the last two games in the second half due to injuries as well. But Luke Brooks has had another great game um, where he's been given the licence to take on the line with some, some options either side of him. You know, we speak about players, we just want players to take on the line. We want halves to take the ball to the line, but you need runners as well. So you can't be running to the line with nobody. And he's very lucky to have the likes of Luciano Lelou or Dane Laurie backing up and it's working really well for us. One thing that does stand out for me, not too many people have spoken about this this year, but I'll, I'll throw this to you, Jed. It still kind of puzzles me that Dane Laurie couldn't get a start for Penrith. He played, I think he played two or three games last year, um, but his efforts all over the park are second to none and he, and he very rarely makes a mistake. I, I still have question marks around Dylan Edwards. I don't know if that's a bit... A bit, uh, a bit rash sometimes. I know you like him in patches, but do you think sometimes Penrith will look and think, "I wish we'd have kept Dane Laurie and, and maybe had a look at Dylan Edwards in another position." I don't know. I was very impressed with Dane Laurie in this game, and I'd say I watched all of this game, and I thought he would be my man of the match personally. I thought it was extraordinary. I thought his defence. I mean, I can't remember who it was, but he's won him on tackle and put a Penrith player into touch, and I thought that was extraordinary defence from him. And I've been really impressed of what I've seen. 
Um, but I, I don't know, maybe because they've got players such as Cleary and Luai in the halves, they wanted someone a bit more stable who's going to do one job and do it well. You don't want too many world beaters in the squad, um, especially with a, a, a squad as, as stacked as Penrith's are. I don't know, this season alone, Laurie has been a better fullback. That's easy to see. But I'm, I, I, I don't know, I couldn't answer you. Maybe I mean I am a fan of Edwards. Laurie has been better this season, and I have I think Edwards has improved his game this season. However, he has been hampered with that hamstring injury a little bit. Um, but I feel like he's improved his attacking game. And maybe they just wanted it. He's good under the high ball, rarely makes mistakes. Maybe that's just what they wanted to be able to start the set and allow Cleary, Luai, etc., to be able to do what they want. But it's one of them things that unfortunately we'll probably never know. Something that's just coming to my mind, mate. What do you think about Matt Dufty at Penrith? That speed, I mean, that's scary. I don't want to think about it, to be honest. But, yeah, that's scary. Could they afford him, though? It's another one now. Yeah, I mean, and to be fair, if he has got a problem with his attitude, which we don't know, we're just speculating, Penrith is the type of club that are not going to want to take him on. But just give me some head then, you know, if Edwards is, is looking to free another position. But, wow, what, what a player. Um, you know, I've seen it all over social media. Matt Burton's been getting some stick because of his performance at number six. And, obviously, it looks like he's going to be the number six role at Bulldogs next year. I thought he did fine, to be fair. I thought he overplayed his hand a bit. Um, he was trying absolutely everything he could. You could see the effort was there, but nothing was really sticking. He was kicking balls out on the full. Um, he, was, he was throwing wayward passes, and he looked a bit co- uncoordinated with the rest of his spine. Um, and when the look's against you, it's always going to be a tough game. Obviously, you look at that spine, um, there's only really Edwards there that's been playing a lot um, more recently. Mitch Kenny, I do like, but Tyrone May, bless him, he was god-awful at number seven. Um, he shouldn't have really been in that position for me and he looked out of his depth. He's not a number seven for me. I, I'm not really sure what he is, even if he's a first-grade player, but he, he, he just he, it's hard not to compare him to Nathan Cleary, but he, he just well out of his depth. Um, and last but not least, that Jacob Liddell full-enter was one of the best things I've ever seen. You know, he's, he's must be the slowest player in the Tigers team. He's had so many knee injuries. Um, he's, he's not the quickest player out of dummy half anyway, but the fact that he outpaced Charlie Staines for about 80, 90 metres and legged it all the way up like out Oval um, and scored a try, really good for him. And, he, and he's just off the back of him re-signing a contract as well with the club, really good to see. A lot of talking points out of this game, Jed. Um, the Luciano Lealua penalty try first for me. Just, just very simply, do you think it was a penalty try or not? I think I think it was, yeah. I think it's 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 not um, intentional at all. Um, he, he was going for the tackle. There was no part of him that was going for the high shot. However, he hit him round the face, which caused him to drop the ball. And ninety nine percent sure he's going to score. Unfortunate, yeah. Penalty try, also, yeah. I can't really. I, I think it's straightforward, and it's just one of them unlucky decisions that goes against you. But there's no no argument for me. I think it's definitely a penalty try. Yeah, I must agree, but I, I just didn't want to come across as biased. But to be fair, the first time I saw it, it didn't even enter my mind. But I think that's why the video ref in the bunker is quite good because, like you say, the fact that he dropped the ball was the fact that he got head, head contact. He wouldn't, he, he would have scored any other way. So fair enough. Next up, mate, the Matt Eisenhuth no try slash Matt. Is it Matt Eisenhuth? Yeah, is is it Matt Eisenhuth? I don't the know. Eisenhuth. I've yeah. seen he played for Tigers last year and it's totally stuck my mind. Matt Burton push slash Eisenhuth no try. But I'll start with this one. I thought this was very very rash and I, I I'd have given this a try for Penrith and I'm not entirely sure what Matt Burton's meant to do there. But that, that's a bit it were a bit unfair on on them boys, wasn't it? I I completely agree. Um, there was no his arms didn't extend to push. He was just running in. I, I feel like. Matt Burton tried to pull out to stop this happening 
and it obviously it occurred anyway. I feel if Matt Burton challenges for that ball more, and then that happens, I think it's a try, and I, I think they don't look it. I think the fact that he didn't really contest it because he was trying not to interfere really went against him. I don't. I think they should have been given personal. I think there was no Burton didn't look to push or, or obstruct there. Uh, was it Laurie in any way, shape, or form? I think it was just unfortunate, and I feel like. I can see why they give no try, but for me, that, that should have been a try. I think it is Matt Eisenhuth. I think Tom Eisenhuth plays for Melbourne. Um, too many Eisenhuths, what's going on? And, and last but not least, mate, once again, like I mentioned, it's been a bit of a talking point. Only happened somehow this year when Penrith have lost their undefeated streak. But what do you feel about there being a delay in the season around the origin period? I mean, I'm going to have to pick the splinters out of my backside because I'm very much on the fence. Um, if it... Is if it's just for origin, then no, I'm not for it. I think the need your players need to, your clubs need to have depth, and if they can't survive it around origin, then that's poor planning on their part. Um, we've seen teams do it for years. You think of Melbourne, they lost Billy Slater, Cooper Cronk, Cam Smith, and, and other and forwards every single get every single year, and they got on with it and still won games. It's only because Penrith have lost this game, it's coming to contention now. If they're to do it and throw international games in there as well. And, and, and try and push because and push the international game a little bit more, then yeah, I'd be all for it. But other than that, I, I, I'd say no personally. What do you think on it, Jamie? Yeah, I, I mean, we obviously spoke about early on in the week. If it's purely for state of origin, then forget that because, like you said, the clubs need depth and they need to actually plan ahead of time. And what are the other odd players? You know, the, the depth in the NRL these days isn't purely just um, New South Wales and Queensland players. You know, there's Polynesian players, there's English players, there's uh, I think there's a small portion of Victorian-based players. Well, there's just people that are just going to end up sitting on the backside for, you know, two to three weeks. And it's going to be a bit daft. But if you can get maybe a Tonga versus Samoa, a Fiji versus PNG, get New Zealand involved for maybe an odd game against like a Barbarians type, I'm all for it. But just for origin, no chance. And it's I think it just seems to be Penrith fans that are, uh, are trying to make an excuse for the fact that they've lost. Just on the back of that, mate, obviously talking about internationals and we mentioned obviously the Lebanese contingent, uh, obviously at the moment. Just a very, very quick one. If you would, would you have Adam Dewey at fullback, Mitch Moses in the half and Alex Twal obviously in, in the thingy and, and, and you've got Michael Leach, I think, in, in the hooking position. Would you have that sort of, so you've got a stronger spine and then it sort of leaves a playmaking certainly down to Moses or would you put Dewey in the halves to partner Moses? What would you go? Because I think personally, I'd rather have Dewey at fullback and Moses in half and let him sort of just, them two link up and have a secondary halfback to sort of just be like a, a plus one option rather than having them both in the halves to, to, to limit the impact they can have on their overall field. It depends if you if you could trust Josh Mansur to go fullback. Because then, I mean, Dewey and Moses in the arse is, a, is one of the best partnerships in the World Cup. But I do totally agree, you don't want to imbalance it a bit. But, I mean, Josh Mansur is a top player, but, you know, he's a top winger. Do you want to be putting him at fullback for the sake of a fullback? But if he, if he trains a fullback and impresses, and, you know, I'm no connoisseur of Lebanese depth. I don't know who, who else they have at fullback, but it's definitely something for us to look at. And when it comes to the World Cup, we will be doing previews. So, you know, I might sling Lebanon your way, mate, and see what, what research you can do. But I, I love I love that rugby league have these options because, you know, what other sport are Lebanon good at? And, you know, there's some top, top players for Lebanon there. Um, just rounding off that bit of extended chat there, Alex 12, five points, James Tishrari is four, Dane Laurie three, Luke Brooks two, and Luciano Lealua one. Big, big player, Luce. Um, one of my favourite players of the main top, top player. Moving on to the next game, Jed. Melbourne Storm 20, Gold Coast Titans 14. And this is my evidence for Penrith Panthers fans that losing a crop of your players should not have too much of an effect on your performance. This Storm side continue to churn out results without a heap of their key players. 
I'm not entirely sure how they do it, but it's not just the fact that it's round origin. It's been going on for weeks. You know, Pappenhausen and Munster and uh, Harry Grant have all been injured recently and they still managed to pluck up wings. You know, this this actually was a lot tougher than most expected this week. And it was nice to see the Titans show some resiliency. You know, once they went down to an early bombardment of tries by Melbourne within the first hour, you know, Titans are, Titans are kind of building a reputation of being a purely attacking side. But there were some positive, positives for them in this game, especially as, as they were missing kind of the nucleus of their squad, um, you know, for Fita and Big Tino and, and, uh, and the like as well. Storm are the best side in the NRL playing to their specific strengths, in my opinion. They very rarely adapt their game plan to something audacious if it's not going right. Craig Bellamy has them thinking about what they can do individually and how they can execute this to the best of their ability. It sounds very regimented, but it's so true. And Scott Sattler said it on our podcast when he was an interview guest a couple of months ago. It's a chess game to them and it's very strategic and you've got to plan three, three games in front and Almost on the opposite of that, it looks like Gold Coast play one move at a time. They just want to attack and attack and worry about the defence in, in another another period. Once again, the likes of Nico Hines and Jerome Hughes exemplify this. Nico Hines can just create an overlap better than anybody in the game at the minute. And his pinpoint passing is a beautiful sight when in full motion. Um, it's been a bit of a viral sensation. I'm sure people have seen it out there. He's, he's kind of, you can't even call it a tunnel ball, but it was almost like a triple tunnel ball. He slung it out to perfection to the winger. It was such a good pass. If anybody can find that online, definitely watch it. But he currently sits second in the leaderboard for try assists and first for line break assists. And we all know he hasn't even played every game this year. Probably just a little bit more than half the games. Absolutely exceptional stats. And Jerome Hughes, on the other hand, is, is the recipient of this. His running game is adapting every single week. He can hit a line at pace. Um, and his vision to create out the back is second to none as well. With the more experienced players missing and or retired now, with Cameron Smith gone, Hughes has definitely stepped into this role very well. And it's something you spotted early on in the season that he's, he's added this running, running game into his game and it's working dividends. You know, I, I love watching Melbourne. Um, and you see a lot of, you know, growing up in our generation with the likes of Smith and Cronk and uh, Slater kind of slowly bending the rules. I think Melbourne are everybody's second team now because they do it right and they do it perfectly. Um, small bit of personal pride for myself, actually, as I as I tipped Greg Marzio to make a huge impact for Titans this year. I'm going to slightly ignore the fact that it's taken him 13 rounds to make an appearance, but um, you know, certainly showed the difference he can make. He made the most runs out of Gold Coast um, this weekend with 22 runs, and he hit 158 run meters overall with a try and five tackle breaks. He scored within four minutes as well. Um, big big try, and there's certainly some value in him playing a bit more often. You know, with the likes of Anthony Dawn, he's 33, he's Dawn. Um, I think he's the oldest winger in the competition now that Brett Morris has officially retired today. And Philip Sammy as well, he's got the odd mistake in him. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if, if Marzio gets a bit more game time coming off the second half of the season. Um, Jaden Campbell as well, he proved that in, in seasons to come, he'll definitely be pushing AJ Brimson for the number one jersey. Um, if anybody is unaware, he is actually Preston Campbell's son. It's the first ever father-son combo for the Gold Coast Titans. And a brilliant fact, what I actually saw as well, Preston Campbell was the first ever player signed for Gold Coast Titans as well. So a nice little nugget of information there. And he was actually on the sidelines as well. And he looks a spitting image of his dad. Um, to, you know, he, he looked very evasive with the ball. Um, and he enjoyed getting the ball in his hands as well. He touched the ball 32 times on his debut against the Melbourne Storm. To be wanting the ball that much is absolutely fair play to him. He got five tackle breaks along with that as well. 
you know, looking at the entire game, Jed, Melbourne had the ball for only 20 minutes. And that's one of the lowest I've, I've seen this season. Eight minutes less than Gold Coast. And they completed two offloads all game. They actually, obviously, they got 20 points. So they averaged a point per minute in possession. Um, and it just shows that the conservative management of their game plan works to a T, doesn't it? It does, mate. And it's just the Melbourne way. Like you said, I mean, you've described players that play from as metronomes, but I think the Melbourne as, as, a, as a club and as a brand are a metronome because they just plan everything up to precision week in, week out. They know when to attack. They know when to not attack. They know when they need to defend and they know when they need to defend for lengthy periods of time. The fact that Titans had the, the ball eight minutes... Uh, sorry, the fact that they had the ball eight minutes less than Titans doesn't surprise me because the Titans had more possession and they had more opportunities to score, but it was more like their lack of... It. I mean, in parts, it seemed like the Titans were trying to lose the game. They had so many opportunities to score tries that they just didn't were not clinical enough in. The effort were there from the Titans, but I don't know what you thought, Jamie, but I thought they were so unclinical. And, and, and so, it's one of them games they probably didn't deserve to lose, but they need to lose because they need to learn from this and they need to take it forward because you can't, you can't be doing losing possession and, and throwing opportunities away like they did in this game, can you? I think they're very lucky that it's within origin time and Melbourne have got injuries because I think if they put this performance in against the top Melbourne side, they're losing by 50 at the minute. Um, and there's only so much you can put excuses on not having Fafita, not having Tino, not being a defensive side, like, you know, tough, tough like you can't, you can't play that way. And once again, not to blow smoke up our backside, but we spotted this earlier on in the season when they were leaking points week in, week out. And for a team that should be getting the seventh, eighth, ninth spot, that that they're a bit behind it at the minute. It's a bit of a shame because you know everybody's wanting them to push on. Um, along with that, mate, Brian Kelly might, might want to avoid watching this one back. He made six errors overall and conceding a penalty. Um, I'm not sure how Justin Albrook is going to react to this, whether he's going to drop him next week, but it's definitely out of character for him because usually a good a good safe centre is Brian Kelly and, uh, yeah, he'll definitely want to avoid watching that one. Um, big talking pot coming out of Melbourne this week, mate. Obviously, it's been the talk of the past couple of weeks of where he's going to go, but it's been made official this week. Nico Hines is going to the Shire next season. Uh, the Cronulla Sutherland Sharks are slowly building a big squad for next year, are they, mate? Yeah, I think it's a fantastic sign. Obviously, there is questions about where is he going to play. You've got Will Kennedy already in, in, in the fullback position there and being their best player this season. Obviously, the the, the Sharks have announced that, that, that Dugan, Johnson and Aaron Woods are leaving, so that frees up a large chunk of their salary cap. I'm guessing, I'm speculating that Hines is going to go to six um, and I don't know who's going to partner. Obviously, no Johnson, no Townsend. Um, so it's an interesting, but yeah, mate, they're building a really strong squad. Um, I think Hines will be a success there. I think him and Kennedy link up could be dangerous. I think that that, that partnership between them and how they link up together could could cause a lot of teams some serious damage because not only have got excellent ball point ability, you've got speed. Will Kennedy is, is very, very fast. Um, and I'm very excited to see how they'll link up next season. And like you said, they're building a young squad. And again, an evidence of a team that have done it the right way, brought it through their academies and their feeder clubs. And, and now the, the, the next season, they'll be looking to push on even more. Obviously, you don't know how the coaching combo is going to go. Obviously, with Fitzgibbon coming in and, and, and how he's going to stamp his authority and how he wants them to play. But it's definitely a nice, uh, nice team to speculate on and think of what they can do next season, mate. Do you think if all goes right, Nico Hines could be pushing Origin next year? I mean, if 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 he started if he started this season, I think he'd have been pushing Origin this year. I think he'd have definitely been in, in the squad or around the squad anyway. But yeah, I've got no doubt about that. I think he's got the talent. As I say, at the moment, at this particular time, on form, he's the best player in the comp. Yeah, 
I genuinely think at this moment in time he's the most on-form player in the world. He's unbelievable. He's everything he touched turns to gold. So I've no doubt that he'll be pushing Origin next year, mate. Definitely. I, I agree with you. I think he'll be playing number six. There are just very small question marks in my mind because he's not played that many first-grade games at the number six jersey. But, you know, then stats speak for themselves. In, in them games, he's had that many try assists and that many line break assists. He doesn't really have to prove much more. 600 grand a year, it looks like he's going to be on reported and absolutely fair play to the Sharks of having a spine of a fully fit Will Kennedy, Nico Hines and Cameron McInnes. Uh, still question marks of the number seven jersey, but it doesn't really matter at that point. I think they're building a very big squad and Craig Fitzgibbon is, is stamping his identity on that team already. I, type, I, I uh, put Jerome Hughes five points, Nico Hines four, Brandon Smith had another, another top game three and the two Titans boys I've already mentioned, Greg Marzu two and Jaden Campbell won. Um, final game of the NRL this weekend. Jade, a bit of a disappointing one. I was looking forward to this. thought it might be a bit equal um, in compared to last week's results. Newcastle Knights 4, Parramatta Eels 40. Obviously, Woody would have, co- would have covered this game for us, but he's, uh, he's stuck in a broken-down car in the middle of nowhere at the minute, so we'll try and do it a bit of justice. But it just seemed a bit all too simple for Parramatta. They completely dominated in all aspects of the game. Uh, the Knights did little or not, if I'm honest. I watched this game as well in until kind of the closing three to four minutes when they scored. Um, you know, as slick and as clinical as Panama were, Newcastle really did make it easy for him with the handling a massive, massive issue. They continuously coughed up possession and several times they couldn't even play the ball correctly. Very schoolboy type stuff. They only managed 10 complete sets in the first half and made eight errors. Meaning, you know, 22 0 at half time and the game were long gone even before, even before that point. Um, Eels looked completely different to the last few weeks and certainly back to their best, uh, especially the first choice spine back. Dylan Brown is is super underrated, we know that, um, and he's been a huge loss through that suspension and came in to share the load and take the pressure off King Guffo and Mitchell Moses. Um, his kicking game in tandem with Mitchell Moses as well, they, they each had eight in-play kicks, um, had Newcastle running ragged, uh, and they weren't able to convincingly deal with anything. Um, Newcastle had about three to four players flocking to the ball to try and deal with it um, and it just constantly left overlaps which Panama just took advantage of which you saw Mike Acevo crash over for an hat-trick as well um, what stood out for me Jed was that how little Newcastle didn't seem to be prepared to do with the ball you know Parramatta were all desperate to get their hands on it and make something happen but Newcastle does seem to be the total opposite of that I know it's it's a strange one, especially when you think obviously they're coming off the back of that surprise victory last week. You'd think that they'd want to build on it and, and really sort of like push it. I mean, Manly were obviously beat Paramount a couple of weeks ago, so they, they should be looking like to prove everyone we're going to back this up and and, and play a good, good attacking rugby. But they just they just didn't, and and it was a really disappointing affair from them also. I mean, it's a sign of how poorly Newcastle are at doing the basics. I mean, they're unable to chance around. I I noticed it a couple of weeks ago when they played the Cowboys that there were just no options in attack at all. It, even the kicks weren't varied. It was just a big high bomb, and then Cowboys just went on the attack, and it was more more of the same here. I mean, they've got some talented players, and they've got some talented outside backs. It's 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 no secret that they've got players like Bradman Best, who can be so destructive. But in the 80 minutes, he only touched the ball 14 times and had seven hit-ups. They aren't utilising him when they need to. They need to be hitting him on a short ball out wide when on the outside of defenders to break through and then supporting play. But they're just not doing it. 
I don't know why. I don't know if it's something particular with the coaching that they wanted to play a particular style. I mean, but they're another one of them teams that are sitting around that 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 eight, but probably luckily to, to, to be there. I mean, if you think of the teams that are up there that started slowly, i.e. Manly, Cowboys and Warriors, obviously, were up and down, but consistently up and down at least. They're nowhere near them at the moment. And, and, and I could see them starting to fall away quite quickly. I mean, it has been a tricky few weeks for Parramatta, but they turned up in this game and they had a point to prove. And, and it seemed that everything that had worked early in the season looked to have clicked again. They won more of the battle up front and had a field day with the ball in hand, pulling players out of position by freeing the ball out of the tackle and utilising countless running threats. And when you've got the outside backs at the other, I mean, and when you've got the likes of, of Mitchell Moses and King Guffo, I mean, they're going to pay to shreds every chance they get. And, and that's what they did. Speaking of the King, he looked back to his best, getting his hands on the ball as much as possible and popping up absolutely everywhere. You know, oh, I say only, made 131 run metres, which is still a great amount, but just by King Guffo's lofty standards, it's usually a little bit below what he usually averages, uh, which tells you, to be honest, that shows how few kicks that he had, he had to deal with. But two line breaks, two line break assists, two, ta- uh, two try assists, and four tackle busts with a try, uh, and two conversions was enough for him. And, and I feel like he, he, he was excellent in this game and, and just the King Guffo that we want, maybe. Felt like he had a little bit of a point to prove not getting into that origin squad. Obviously, he was there last year playing out of position, so maybe wanted to prove that maybe he should have been in uh, in, contentious, in contention. Elsewhere, Mike Acevo continues his try-scoring efforts, as you mentioned, Jamie, with another hat-trick, becoming the third fastest player to, to 50 NL tries behind his Fijian brothers of Semi Radradra and Suliasi Vunavalu, who obviously both departed to Rugby Union. Fingers crossed that Mike Acevo doesn't follow suit and just carries on to score tries for fun. Big worry coming up on the back of this game is obviously the Reed Marnie injury, Jamie. I mean, I'm going to throw this over to you because obviously your physio background and you'll be able to analyse it a lot more than I can. But he seemed in some discomfort after that. And it, seemed, it was just a flailing arm, and, but he seemed in a lot of pain and, and didn't even move and signal to come off straight away. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the mechanism, mechanism of it looked exactly like a, com- a complete re- uh, torn peck. Um, he kind of came out in that tackle motion, bringing his out into kind of an abduction type of phase but then got pulled backwards and that's where your, your pec muscle pretty much rips off the bone um, we saw it to Mitchell Pierce earlier on in the season we've seen it in, in a couple of key men as well over the past couple of years um, and even the commentators picked up on it as well but luckily the reports coming out of the Paramount Ariels camp is that is all I say only but he's subluxed his shoulder which is a lot better than a torn pec and obviously it's a lot better than a dislocated shoulder as well a subluxed shoulder is basically when uh, the ball of the ball and socket joint of your shoulder just slips out and then slowly goes back in. So there might be some internal damage, but there's not going to be too much going on. And he might only look at be about two to four weeks in the sidelines as opposed to maybe two to four months. So a huge, huge, uh, you know, positive for Parramatta there. Although to be fair, they are they have got some good hooker depth with the likes of Joey Lux, Joey Lussick and Nathaniel Roach, but nobody really up to Marie Marnie's standards. But as soon as I saw that, I, I was I was hoping that. You know, it wasn't a, a pet rupture because even though um, the Tigers actually have Parramatta in the next couple of weeks, but you don't want to see a big player like that sitting on the sidelines. Um, you know, I was I was a bit excited to see the debuts of, for, for Newcastle. You know, Jake Clifford had, had a bit of a promising start, but he kind of fizzled out a bit as, as, as the rest of Newcastle did as well. Um, and Jack Johns coming on to make his debut. We know how famous the Johns name is in in, uh, in Newcastle, but once again, a bit of a, a poor performance from the team overall for him to make his debut. Uh, kind of the second father-son combo this weekend. 
um, for the for the NRL in general, but also the first ever father-son combo for Newcastle as well, along with his dad, Matty Johns, you know, one of the most famous names in rugby league. So fair play to him. Hopefully can have a bit more impact on, on games coming into the future. Um, big talking point out of Parramatta this past uh, this past season, really, more than anything else, Jed, is are they going to sign Blake Ferguson? They haven't made an official statement on it yet. Um, his performances in recent weeks look like they might be looking elsewhere. But what, what would you tend to do? How, how do you think you'd, uh, you'd go about it? I'd let him go, personally. I think he's, he's not getting any younger. Um, I think he's 32, maybe 31, but he's definitely in his 30s. I feel like they've got Hayes Dunstook and Philly, who scored at the weekend as well. Um, a lot of promise and, and if not I mean if you're thinking about players that are not going to be costing you extraordinary amounts your wingers are probably ones that are that for, for a top 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 winger you're still probably not looking at paying more than 600-700k because it's not in a, obviously a, a, a game changing position um, and obviously they're not going to be signing anyone like that but I feel like there's plenty of, of, of good wingers out there that they could get on cheaper money than what they're paying Fergo so for me I'd let them go I'd let him go sorry I'm not sure about what type of money has been spoken about, but I have seen him heavily rumoured with Dan Gagai. Um, you know, primarily he does play in the centre, but we've seen him for years playing on the wing for, for Queensland. So, I mean, that would be a more than uh, suitable replacement, wouldn't it, mate? It would, or even if they want to push, I don't know, a patch it. Because I, I think Gagai's better in the centre. I think he's been... He's been, he's been his form at Sydney at South Sydney, at centre the last couple of seasons, probably being the best footy that he's played over than, over than Origin. So I personally wouldn't want to buy him to put him at the wing. I'd, I'd much prefer him at centre. But then you don't know, obviously, if they want to push a patch it, uh, Opacic there or, or or maybe just get Dane Gagai in instead of uh, Wonga Blake, who I think who, who I've not rated really this season. I think he's been really poor defensively and not really contributed much in attack. And then maybe go for someone else as, as a winger as well. But I imagine Dane Gagai will probably command quite a large uh, salary cap fee. So depends what space they've got. But it's an interesting dilemma to have. It's nice to know that they're not short of players and it's not a, a, a drastic one that they need to get someone in that can... If they've got they've got youngsters they could put there if they want to chance around and try and get a, a bigger name that can do so, sort of the luxury of having a, a talented squad like the Paramount Eels do. Definitely so, mate. And um, Woody will definitely want us to emphasise on the fact that he's given King Guffo five points for the first time since he's been on the podcast. Dylan Brown, four points. Ryan Matson three points. Mike Acebo, two. And Sean Lane, one at Paramount Eels overload there. So five... 5-4-3-2-1 to the Paramount Reels. Um, that's it for the NRL. We've extended that a bit because there were four games. We had a bit more discussion points there. Really enjoyed that. A lot of good talking points around Nico Hines and signings and whatnot. But we'll come on to the Challenge Cup semis and the one game in the Super League. Jed will try and whiz through these. Um, Challenge Cup semis, you know, it was a triple header along with the Challenge Cup final for the women's game. But some big talking points along with it. Hull FC 18, St. Ellen's 33. The main talking point that is pretty much a buzz of all rugby league social media at the minute is the Josh Griffin ruptured Achilles, dropping the ball, and Theo Favre scoring the try off the back of it. What's your thoughts on all of it, mate? I want it all. It's tough. It's really, really tough. Um, obviously, you, you'd lean that you should not play on, and obviously, it's a really, really nasty injury, and, and, and you saw other players, other St. Helens players, stop playing immediately. However, your first thought in rugby is to score and to win. It's a Challenge Cup semi. You don't know what Theo Farge is at noise. You might just think he's dropped the ball. Might have seen out Conrad, like, right, I'm going to go score. Obviously, he'd lean towards that. It should obviously have been sportsmanship and, and not play on. But in the heat of the moment, it is so hard to, to, 
to think that clearly when all you're wanting to do is win and do the best for your team. So it's a really, really tough one. I think it's unfortunate uh, for Josh Griffin. It's unfortunate for Hull. However, I don't blame Theo Farge at all. He's just thinking he needs to win. It's not as if it's like happened. Players have stood around for 10 seconds and then he's picked it up and done it. He picked it up almost instantly. I mean, in terms of like the decision-making process going through your head, he's, he's, he's not going to acknowledge that. And probably if he could go back in time now, he probably wouldn't have done it. But at the time, I think it's really, really unfair to, to hold it against him, mate. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad it's not been a semi-final. That's been decided by four or six points. At least it was the, the, a nice 15 points in between it. I think for me, it's, it's almost a three-pronged thing. You know, do you, do you blame Josh Griffin for Josh, dr- dropping the ball? Probably not because I've never ruptured my Achilles and I don't know how much pain that is. I'm sure I won't want to hold on to a ball either. Do you blame Theo Farge for not having a bit more respect? Well, like you say, it's a Challenge Cup semi-final. St. Helens haven't won it for X amount of years. And you see a, a loose ball go from 10 metres out of the line and you're not going to go pick it up. And three, should the referee be stopping the play for a serious injury like that? Potentially, yes, but we can't leave it down to the referee to decide what is a serious and a not serious injury within a split second. What's to say Josh Griffin just didn't have a tight tight calf and a bit of cramp? Um, you know, obviously, an Achilles is out for the season now, but what the, the referee isn't a medical professional. He doesn't know in that split second that he should be stopping the game. So it is a bit of a three-pronged argument, but also there's a lot of counter-arguments to it as well. Thankfully, the game wasn't decided on that. Uh, Josh Griffin has come out... Um, and not so much apologised, but he's understood a bit why Theophage did it. Unfortunately, he's actually deleted his Twitter because of the abuse he was getting. Almost some people calling for the for Hull to sack him, which was absolutely pathetic in, in every single regard. I'd love for them to rupture their Achilles and not scream out in pain. Um, but yes, very, very unfortunate. And, and St. Helens are through to the final. Very quickly, Jed. Obviously, a big talking point last year, just off the back of the Super League Grand Final, but Jack Wellsby has been amazing this year and there's been talk of him being included in the England squad come the World Cup. Do you kind of see him in there as a utility back or even potentially a starter? I'd have him there, definitely. I mean, he can play in a variety of positions across the back row. I mean, he primarily is like a, a full-back, but I feel like we're quite spot for choice at the full-back at the moment with the amount of talent that we've got. Uh, but I'd definitely have him in there. And even if he doesn't get a game, he's, he's a future England player, a future England fullback. There's no doubt about that. So just for the experience of being around the World Cup squad and, and, and the environment, I think will be a, a, a massive benefit for him. But I'm a big fan. Um, I, I was going to say he's got a f- huge future ahead of him, but he's, he's already co- achieved so much. I mean, that try last year will go down in folklore history and probably one of the most famous tries in rugby league of all time. But very impressive. He's continued his form and, and I'm happy for him. And a, a good player that we've, should be proud to have and I mean if he carries on this form there's no reason why NRL clubs probably won't come sniffing in a couple of years time definitely and he can play in the centre and wing as well so I'd definitely take him as a utility back St Helens will be going through to the Challenge Cup final to face Castleford Tigers they beat the Warrington Wolves 35-20 and um, kind of the major major talking points out of this game Jed was you know Jordan Turner picked up a hat-trick so fair play to him very well played but his first try um, was a bit conscientious, wasn't it, really? It was more of a, the old-school benefit of the doubt try. The referee threw it up as a try, but you couldn't really see the ball touch down. For me, I, I felt as though he did touch it down, but what, what, what was your opinion on it? It's one of them. It comes down to, what, basically, if the can't see it, it's whatever the referee's called. I think that's one of the better decisions, one of the better rules of rugby league that, obviously, if you can't have conclusive evidence either way, then it's going to go on the ref- what the referee's decided. So it takes a lot of pressure away from the referee and the video ref as well. Because um, if it just gets put up, put up as, as, as 
as he was in the older olden rules where the referee just sent me to the video ref, it's probably going to be a no try because they can't prove it. But probably, I agree, Jamie, probably did get it down, but it's one of them, obviously, can't have videos, all angles to try and truly determine. But obviously, it didn't really matter too much in the end. Again, thankfully, the scoreline was a bit more wide and it wasn't a decisive try, really. 17th of July, Challenge Cup final. Jed, a bit earlier this year, obviously because of COVID and they're actually in the process of changing it from August Bank Holiday weekend. St. Helens up against Castleford Tigers. Two sides that surprisingly haven't won it a long, long time. St. Helens over 10 years and Castleford since, uh, I want to say 1986, I've heard. Definitely since the 80s. Uh, and as an unbiased opinion, who's your, who's your head on and who's your heart on for that final? For unbiased, I think Saints will Saints are- I'll do it. I think they've, they really want it. I think they've got their eye on it. And, and like we're, we've had players before saying how, how big it is and they've lost it now on a few occasions and been there so, so many times. And I think I think 2006 was the last... 2006 or 2008 was the last time they won it, was it? Um, and, and I think they'll definitely be wanting it. They'll have a, a big red ring around that date and be working towards it. And from a biased point of, of view, I hope St. Helens absolutely embarrassed Castleford because I'm, I'm obviously a big, big wakey fan, not a fan of Castleford at all. So both biased and unbiased, I'm hoping for a St. Helens win. Yeah, you, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's St. Helens' time. Um, I'm just hoping for a competitive final because when Cass got there last time, obviously it was a, they, they, they didn't really step up to the plate. And, I, and just when you, if you're having a new team in the final like Salford last year, what a game that was against Leeds, but you just want them to compete and, if they win it, they win it. I don't dislike Cass as much as you do. But, um, yeah, I think it's St. Helens to lose and um, it's a trophy that's evaded him for a lot, a lot of years, surprisingly. Um, and last but not least, Jed, Super League, one game this year, uh, this this round, sorry. Um, Wakefield Trinity 30, Leeds and Cherubins 20. Wakefield's third win in a row. We're off to, we're off to the grand final, mate, surely. I've already booking tickets, mate. We're there. We're going to win it. We're going to do it. No, it's nice to see us actually pick up a little bit of form. Um, I, I didn't go to the game, but I, was, I actually went to the cinema, but was had the the uh, notifications on my phone popping up, and so my girlfriend was telling me turn it off. I was like, I can't. I, I don't know. It was close, and I thought we were gonna throw it away after obviously getting a bit of a lead. Um, but luckily that nice little Mason Lino try at the end, lovely bit of footwork twice to to break through the line and then step the full back. Um, really, really happy, and I think it, it's a win that we needed as well. One probably the worst we played at the last three weeks, but. You need to win them type of games. And and I think the combination of uh, Jacob Miller and Mason Lino has really started to to, to, to prove and they're really starting to click now. And we're getting some players back from injury and, and it's good enough. I'm, I'm happy. I'm, 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 I don't obviously think we're going to do turn up any trees, but I'm, I'm, I'm confident now that we'll, we'll have a steady season and pick up a lot more wins and, and hopefully a lot less defeats. Yeah, mate. I, I was actually at the game. It's the first game I've managed to get to um, live professional rugby league in a long time. And, you know, it started off, we're 8-0 down with half an hour gone. It was, I was like, this is the most Wakefield performance we could possibly do. And then we went up and we're leading 18-8. Then we ended up losing uh, 20 points to 18 and we pulled it back to 30 points to 20. So I'm just happy that we seem to be winning the games recently that we should be winning. You know, Wakefield over the years, when, we, when we're favourites, we're, we're no good and we prefer performing when we're the underdogs. But... You know, fair play. Lee actually put up a really good performance, and you know they had some big middlemen, and they actually had three hookers playing the game in Liam Hood, Nathan Peets, and Matty Wilde, and they rotated really, really well, and it killed us a bit in the middle. Um, but you know, Joe Westerman, what a player he is, and there's been calls for him to be called up to England by Chris Chester, and I'm, you know, I'm totally on board to be him in the squad. Mason Lino, like you said, controlled play really well. He got a couple. I think he got maybe two tries, or if not, he got one try and a, and a couple of conversions, and. You know, you said it the other week, mate. Liam Kay is definitely stepping up to cover for Tom Johnston. So, 
really, really impressive. We've got Warrington away this coming week, so it's going to be a, a big, uh, a tough game. But I'm just glad we're getting clear of that potential relegation uh, bottom place if, if it is going to be relegation this year. But, you know, six points, three wins out of nine. If you'd have given us that um, at the start of the year, we'd have probably bitten your hand off there. So, thank Oh, go on, mate. Yeah, just before we close well, out. Just a quick one. Obviously, I think the game before that as well, we got beat by by Leeds in Golden Point where we, we were really unlucky and did not deserve to lose at all. And obviously, a really dodgy decision. That's four in a row. And then I think what we're sitting sixth, seventh. Because you've got like Catalan, Wigan, Saints who, who, are, who are way better than everyone else. And then I think you've got Hull maybe. And then it's a really mixed match in the middle. So it definitely put us in that middle bracket. So hopefully we can we can keep building on that. Who knows, mate? We could be sitting at Old Trafford come October. Uh, but thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 79 of Three Blokes and the Rugby League podcast. Head on over to our social media pages where you'll find a variety of content which will hopefully pique your interest. Also, please give us a rating on all our podcasting platforms. If possible, please. It really does help us in the long run. We are available on all podcasting platforms and please keep an eye out for any future podcasts or interviews or have a listen to our archive of Tom Johnston, Barry McDermott, Adrian Molly, and much, much more. The girls who won the Challenge Cup, Jodie Cunningham and Amy Hardcastle are on there as well. Brilliant. We have recently released our State of Origin Game 1 preview ahead of the big game this coming Wednesday, New South Wales versus Queensland. And keep an eye out for our review of that very game the day after this coming Thursday. Thank you very much, J.D. Moscodad, for joining me in the two-man booth today. And we will catch you all down the road. <laughs>